to the Restart Radio Show, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we don't focus on all those new shiny, shiny things to buy. Instead, we focus on the value and the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and a happier relationship with electronics. And our monthly community electronics repair events here in London, called Restart Parties, are just the beginning. Uh, my name is Janet Gunter. I'm one of the people behind the Restart Project, and I'm joined by David Murray, who's a Restart volunteer and activist. Hi, Janet. Yeah, and um, we are here today to talk about... Um, Actually, we are going to talk about something new and shiny, shiny, but we're going to go into some of the background of it and um, take a critical view on it. So a lot of attention in recent years has gone into what people are call wearables. So um, basically, this is moving away from the smartphone and looking at how um, potentially connected and intelligent um, technology will actually fit on our person, um, starting, I think we... The first wave of really consumer-focused, really hyped wearables were the Google Glass, many people may have heard of, um, and then the Apple Watch. Um, do you remember when those came out, David? Uh, no, I don't have the exact date. I think that's the... Uh uh, it's already almost lost in our collective yes. memory. Well, I went to, to look on Google Trends um, to see when this term wearable started being used. Mid-2000, uh, though, I think, you know? Well, it really started taking off um, uh, around December 2013. So, yeah, Christmas time of, of uh, 2013. And then this must have been just basically attention to um, these projects that were coming up, um, I, th I think, Google Glass being the most uh, the most famous one, and Google Glass is really interesting to to kind of look back in retrospect because of course now it's a defunct project. Um, I was about to say, yeah, I mean it's probably the most famous, but at the same time the least mm -hmm. commercial uh, in the commercial project because it was uh, it was sold as a as a prototype for a while. I think it had a very short period as a as a product, but it it never. Yeah, took off. I mean, the people that I saw mm. using it and like even just, you know, sharing it on YouTube and elsewhere, I think they were almost like they were giving them for free or as kind of like ambassadors or testers of the product. Um, and Google Glass, well, it became victim in some way of its own, um, in some way of its own kind of, well, wearable and embedded aspect that people took issue with the fact that someone was wearing a pair of eyeglasses that could that was filming them and they weren't necessarily aware that they were being filmed. So you even see that some of the videos that were made with Google Glass, uh, you, get, you get these looks from people looking towards the video, trying to suss out whether they're being filmed, what's actually happening, what that person is seeing through those glasses. Um, and so the big complaint, I guess, from the beginning was the kind of almost creepy aspect of Google Glass. But, but that's, I mean, that predates Google Glass. I mean, uh, when uh, uh, Steve Mann, I mean, talks about his incidents in uh, McDonald's in Paris in 2012, mm -hmm. uh, uh, he's a pioneer of uh, of the idea of having uh, uh, this kind of specs uh, when he started 40 years ago, so uh, quite a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and he had uh, uh, this eyeglass which were kind of fixed to his uh, to his head. I mean, it's with he said that you need some uh, some equipment to take them off. Uh, and in the McDonald's in Paris, the, the uh, uh, one of the staff there uh, tried to rip them out of his uh, of his head. Oh my goodness! Uh, where, where he yeah. was, uh, was apparently carrying uh, a medical note at all times, saying that he uh, he can wear or he should wear uh, uh, 
these pegs. I don't know exactly what's what's on the notes. Yeah. So as you say, like people have been pioneering with this for quite a while. It's it's more that I suppose that a company tried to almost create a consumer version or a version that would be recognizable and and kind of at well and also potentially transferable or between people. Um, and there have been experiments with RFID and other kind of embedded um, and other wearables um, well before Google Glass and um, and the the Apple Watch as well. Um, yeah, there, there were quite a lot of stories when uh, um, a club, uh, a nightclub in Barcelona, started to use them in uh, 2004, uh, where people could get in the club and pay for drinks, uh, just waving their arms, uh, in which uh, an RFID uh, uh, tag had been impl implanted. Yeah, and the RFID tags are used in, like, m we're so familiar with them now, they're almost banal, like they're used in the Oyster card or the card you use to get into a building or to touch in. Um, and I guess, well, but there, so there have been prototypes of this ongoing um, for quite a while. Um, but in, it was in, in the, only in the past couple of years that, that people have tried to, um, in a sense, uh, turn these into mass consumer products. And... Um, I mean, I think the trust issue isn't just person to person. Don't, I mean, let's let's talk about wh why these devices, as consumer items, in, inspire a bit of disquiet. Is is it's not just the person you're looking at? What are they doing? What are they going to do with this footage? It's deeper than that. Yeah, I think there are several dimensions. Yeah, I mean, the uh, and it's it's kind of a, a control. Uh, who's got the control and who's got the power? Uh, and uh, and we're in kind of surveillance situation. Uh, um, and and that's a concept again that Steve Madam introduced of uh, of surveillance. So you've got the the state uh, uh, that surveil you, that so that's um, uh, the surveillance from above, uh, and uh, and with the kind of maybe the CCTV camera or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean one of one very popular wearable uh, is the uh, the body worn cameras that uh, uh, most police officers are wearing these days. Uh, that's causing huge numbers and is a wearable. Uh, uh, but it's at the state, so having more power on you to some extent. Okay, but that's surveillance. <laughs> so what is this concept of surveillance then? The surveillance is kind of taking back and all of us being able to uh, um, uh, make the powerful accountable. And, uh, and so um, surveillance being one aspect, so having our own cameras uh, to monitor what's going on. Yeah, and but I think um, what people, are, I guess we're not just dealing with the state in a sense. So when we're filming through, uh, through whatever wearable or we're um, we're um, touching in and out of things with a with a smart gadget, we're also interfacing with companies. Um, I think increasingly, and I think that's where there's a, also an increasing level of disquiet and distrust. I would say. Yeah, I think that's what exemplified when Facebook uh, uh, run their uh, face identification algorithm. That so in this footage that is mostly anonymous uh, uh, suddenly became uh, identifiable of people in them. Yeah, I mean, that was for a pretty funny moment because then you realized, oh, so that's what Facebook is all about. It's about collecting faces um, and potentially there are business models um, behind just the collection of faces. Um, an interesting study uh, came out from Edelman, which is one of these companies that does um, research uh, into trust and they research trust in major institutions, so government, business, the media and NGOs. And 
as you might imagine, in the past year, there's just been an absolute plummet across the board of trust in, well, institutions. Um, interestingly, the tech sector performs fairly well when compared to, like, uh, government and the media and others. However, if you look at some subsectors, and Edelman draws attention to this, um, trust really plummets. So when you look at um, trust in cloud storage companies, in virtual augmented mixed realities uh, companies and Internet of Things companies, it drops down to 51, down to, uh, sorry, it drops as low as 51 and 43 percent, whereas the tech sector as a whole is trusted in much higher percentages. So it's just something to flag. I think there's another dimension as well to that is uh, what is the business model of the company in the tech sector? Uh, uh, some companies, I mean, sell you hardware, mostly and make their money from hardware. Uh, but others uh, are into advertising business, and basically you are the product. So that has uh, quite a big difference, a big impact on how you can trust this company to uh, secure the, your data when the business model is to sell your own data. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the companies that were behind some of these um, these products, um, I mean, Apple, okay, traditionally has, uh, has made money off hardware, but increasingly they're looking at um, making money off of the cloud and other potentially data services and other things. Um, Google, obviously, makes almost all of its money off of, of its data. And um, in what I guess we can call a second wave of wearables, and this is kind of why this is show has been inspired, is there's, there are new companies getting in. Um, for example, Snapchat with their spectacles. And I don't know if anyone saw people sharing stuff on social media about this, but they finally uh, released them in the UK with, I, I think, maybe just starting here in London with much fanfare. And spectacles are the first uh, piece of hardware that Snapchat, which is just actually was a, a, an app, a company online, um, has made. Uh, and I think that at least they addressed one of the issues you pointed in, Shelley, in that they have a light that, uh, that lights up when they record. So, you, so if you are being recorded, you haven't uh, some signal that this is happening. Yeah, so that's kind of, in a sense, why I'm thinking of this as almost a second wave of, of wearables projects moving past the um, the, the glass hole problem <laughs> that existed for, for, for Google um, and basically making it much clearer what's going on and when and where. And also, they're slightly more playful. So um, David is known for his iconic spectacles, actually. <laughs> did, what did you make of the... What did you make of the the, the Snapchat spectacles. I don't find that they that I mean attractive. Uh, and and th there is a video I think that uh, that you found uh, of someone uh, uh, hacking the uh, the electronic part of the uh, of the spectacles to put them into some Gucci frame. Uh, uh, so obviously, didn't think that the original were. Uh, yeah, he took an angle grinder <laughs> to them and just removed the top part and stuck them on a, into some Gucci, uh, Gucci glasses. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of their aesthetic. I have to say, it's it's kind of like very California in some way. Um, I think they're also only sunglasses, if I'm not wrong. I, I don't know, um, but it does represent a second wave where they've actually done some thinking about okay, what might people actually want to wear on their person, on their body. Um, I looked for people hacking them, and I didn't really come up with very much. I was rather surprised, um, except for the Gucci uh, glass mashup. Um, I saw some people uh, altering the mic, putting on some um, some artificial fur to deal with air, um, to deal with uh, wind. Wind, mm. yeah. Um, and then I, when I asked online, one person offered a really interesting hack. 
um, which I thought was slightly more interesting. Because in a sense, all the spectacle does is just let you share these really small videos on Snapchat. That's all it's designed to do. Um, but somebody online said that they've figured out how to um, to add an extra uh, microphone and do binaural recording, which is kind of potentially a cool hack for it. Um, uh, you know, I wasn't I, I wasn't too impressed. I mean, I they also sold them out of a, a vending machine. I don't know if you caught that, but in uh, yeah, they tried to create. That's some, how uh, they kind of created the buzz. The buzz, yes. But you think about electronics out of vending machines. I'm very skeptical about this idea. I mean, it's one thing to buy. Um, it's one thing to buy a cold drink out of a machine, but I don't have a new machine, but electronics, I'm a bit skeptical. But, but I think it's, it does show that it's like a cold drink. I mean, that's you throw away the can when you throw with it. Uh, is that the, or ideally you recycle it, but the, the, uh, uh, it seems that the whole electronics is completely self-contained and encased and doesn't appear to be at all serviceable. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, I haven't actually looked at any teardowns or or attempt to look at its serviceability or hackability. But it did have me thinking that it was so hard to find people creatively adapting them that yeah, they're actually just kind of one use um, one use gadgets. Um, we'll we'll get back and talk about another really interesting wearables project in a moment. <laughs> You're listening to Restart Radio and Resonance 104.4 FM, and we're talking today about actually some new shiny, shiny stuff, but in a rather skeptical way. So we're talking about what we perceive as a kind of a second wave of, um, of wearable products. So um, after the failure of, uh, of Google Glass and um, some fundamental problems um, with that, we've seen uh, a remix by Snapchat with the spectacles, and another interesting project that really caught our eye more so than than actually the, ske- uh, the spectacles, which we're skeptical about. Is a jacket? Is, a, is yeah, is an interesting jacket project by um, Levi's in combination with Google, um, and it's called well, Google's project is called the Jacquard Project. Um, what did you make of this smart jean jacket, uh, David? Um, I mean, I think it shows the, the, the limits of uh, a lot of the wearable technology, where it seems to be more either kind of a fashion item, in uh, and fashion in the sense of uh, of things that are expensive and that you wear only on special occasions, or more like art project or prototypes. Uh, I think. I mean, it's so the idea of the of this jacket is that it's got some uh, um, conductive thread in it, uh, and you you use the sleeve as an interface, uh, you swipe the sleeve, uh, and it's intended to be used by cyclists. So you control the map uh, on your phone uh, and take or or refuse to go. The the issue is that that means first uh, you're supposed to wear these jackets at all times, otherwise you kind of lose your interface uh, to your map, whatever the weather, whatever the conditions. Uh, Then, I mean, when you want to wash it, you have to remove uh, some of the uh, electronics in it, so so it's still not completely good. And you've got a cuff as well, which is kind of take space. Uh, and you kind of wonder, couldn't then everything be in the cuff, and then you wouldn't have the uh, the, the limitation of the jacket itself. And the the and there is also the question on the uh, on how how it lasts. I mean, when you rip a jacket or a coat or whatever, you can just sew it back together. But if you rip 
uh, through the uh, conductive thread. I assume then you probably need to resolder. I mean, the thread looks quite thin, uh, which is fine. So when the, when they work, but how long do they last, and how can you repair them? Uh, I think yeah. is is not answered. I mean, uh, at least on the uh, on the articles I've seen about the about the jacket. Yeah, no, I I, I like um, mm -hmm. I like the idea. I do have some questions about yeah its implementation, mm -hmm. but. Um, I do. I, I'm quite sympathetic to the idea. I have to say, um, it's a jean jacket, which is probably in many places wearable for much of the year. Um, uh, I, I like the notion that we're moving away from screens, screen-based interfaces, um, and um, I'm not really sold on the spectacles aspects, like we're wearing something on on my on my face. Or in fact, I, I wear glasses myself and I kind of just like them as analog object <laughs> so I, I very much I'm most sympathetic to this jacket of anything I've seen um, I do have questions around the yeah the con how strong the conductive fibers are um, they claim that they're flexible and they can be washed um, the, and the only actual electronics are handled by the cufflink which is removed when you wash it but, but when you look at the video you see that there is a, um, an insert uh, like a small PCB in the sleeve, uh, which is zipped afterwards. So it's unclear whether that needs to be taken off uh, as well or not. And if there is kind of a zip there, it's kind of, it mm. seems that it's that it's uh, that you should take it off. I mean, it's funny because in a way, this isn't an, an necessarily anything new. So um, we 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 looked at another kind of luxury uh, smart jacket that that uh, adapts itself to your body temperature and heats the part of you that are that are cold. And it, it had me thinking about. I mean, this in some sense, these products already exist. Like um, one of our uh, restart volunteers is a motorcyclist, and he has one of those you know heated jackets. He just I mean, he just plugs it into the motorbikes, and actually, when when that when he had a problem with that, um, we're confronted with this jacket. That do we do we fully do we have to just cut it open to troubleshoot along the circuit? And um, it kind of came to the conclusion that we needed to be in an event with a sewing machine. That there's no way that we could start looking at clothes as electronics um, without having somebody who's talented at um, at sewing as well with us. But if you have a conductive thread, as in the Levi's uh, jacket, then you, you, if you cut it open, you won't find anything because I mean, uh, uh, it is in the fabric itself. Yeah. So, so it's probably even harder in some way to fix it that way. Yeah, like the what does mending conductive fibers actually consist of? Exactly. But the the coats, I think, is uh, I prefer that that idea. Part okay, it's much more expensive, but it's. Uh, uh, a coat usually there to keep you warm, and I think the uh, to improve on the keeping warm functionality is probably better suited for a coat. And the uh, and it's I mean it uses infrared uh, technology, which according to uh, to the bump, so heat your muscles and not not direct skin contact, uh, which avoid burns and uh, and keeps you warmer. Um, that seems very attractive if it effectively works. I mean, it's, uh, I haven't tried it. <laughs> okay, this is a coat uh, called, just scrolling down here, This is it's called, um, it's a smart coat by a firm called Emil and Aris. Um, we'll, we'll share some links. But yeah, it sounds, it sounds interesting. But uh, yeah, again, it's in the stage where um, not affordable for most of us. And... The repairs on this jacket. I'm assuming that we didn't see any. We didn't see any note about how to. We saw some notes about how to maintain this jacket, how to wash it, etc., and how it should not be used with a pacemaker, which I thought was interesting. Um, but we didn't see any any information about actually mending these coats and um, what service the company might provide. 
But, but, but just yeah, to touch on two points you made, I mean, the opening up the jacket and pacemaker. I mean, they, they are wearables that are already also, I mean, when, such as pacemaker, I mean, all the medical implants. Mm. Uh, and uh, and I don't expect us to open up people <laughs> <laughs> at least our parties to uh, yeah. to upgrade. But the the uh, a lot of the uh, of the I mean, many crypto researchers have found uh, um, flaws in the uh, in the links between this device and the uh, and the outer world, whether they Bluetooth or NFC or whatever. And they, that usually the data is not encrypted, so there is risk for privacy mm. uh, privacy leaks. And also for remote control of some of these devices uh, with catastrophic consequences, of course. Yeah, no, that it raises all <laughs> kinds of issues. Um, and, you know, we, we it seems like we often bang on about the need for extended software support. But, you know, in this case, um, there there's... There's, you know, it's, it's, it's an ethical and life or death question. I think with all of the uh, wearables, with everything that we see released, everything that's trendy and kind of interesting and appealing, uh, you know, to that, ooh, new shiny, shiny factor, we have to remember that we need extended software support for these products. And um, it's too bad that Ugo's not here today to talk about his Pebble watch. But uh, Ugo was one of the first buyers of the Pebble watch and this you know, big Kickstarter campaign. Everyone got really excited about it, um, and it got it got sold to Fitbit, um, who I believe has promised to extend some software support. But now, ironically, Ugo's had some hardware problems, <laughs> so it's unclear how long his Pebble watch will actually be useful for. Um, it's I mean, a bit of a cautionary tale. It, it seems that his problem yeah, is uh, is a battery related, and, yeah. uh, and again, I mean. For all all this embedded uh, uh, device, there is there has to be a source of power somewhere, uh, and that needs to be changed on a regular basis. So access at least to that uh, should be easy, uh, which is and, and the battery should be available in a standard format, uh, which doesn't seem to be always the case. Yeah, especially uh, with new projects, people kind of go crazy with customizing and just pulling different new components out, and yeah. And for wearable, I mean, I think we need to as a question of whether the support, the software support and hardware support to some extent shouldn't be lifetime uh, support uh, being the life of the wearer. Yeah, yeah. Although good luck <laughs> trying to get people to to sign up to that who manufacture. Um, but I mean, when, when, it is, uh, when it is a medically implanted yeah, device, no, for sure. uh, uh, that's, uh, you really, you really keen on that. I mean, uh, uh, I think more than, uh, more probably than for other wearables, but still, I mean, I think the problem is, is, is a general problem. And that's what we can we see as well on many Kickstarter problems that the that many of the delays seems to be software related. Mm. That there is kind of the software cause problem in the in the production and then in uh, in the support afterwards. Uh, there seems to be sort of more more work that needs to be done on the software side even on the hardware side. Yeah. Um, well, and in relation to that, I, you just got me thinking about two interesting projects, uh, watch projects. So we, I am quite skeptical about the smart watches that I see around. I think they just look like, like miniaturized mobiles. They're kind of big and geeky and clunky, and I don't necessarily want them. Although I do have a friend who quite loves it because she, you know, she just doesn't want to have to have a pocket, a mobile in her pocket. Um, but Swatch and Scoggin have released some some somewhat more minimalist smart watches, which are pretty much all about you know, getting notifications, the ones you want, um, and doing a little bit with the physical world. Um, and the Skagen watch, I was interested to see, this is a Danish company known for its rather 
minimalist designs, I would say, um, actually has just a really small coin battery in it, and it doesn't require you to plug in um, every night or, or even every couple days. Um, but you were rather critical of the Scoggins' actual interface. I mean, first, it wouldn't solve the problem of your friend because she would still need to have the, her Android phone in her pocket. Yes. Or iPhone, I think or it works nearby. with both. Yeah, uh, yeah the, the, the jacket, by the way, works only with uh, Google products as well. Yeah, Google it's phones. paired with their phones. Yes, but yeah. not all. Uh, but the, yeah, looking at the, at the videos on the... Uh, the watch seems to always have its hands on zero, zero, on, on noon, uh, unless you press a button, and then you can see uh, the, the hands going around and see the time. Or you can have the other functions that uh, I think you have up to three functions. That well, it's that. the ultimate but minimalist watch then. But it's a watch <laughs> with hands that doesn't show the time unless you press on a button. That's <laughs> I love to si look at that. That doesn't seem to be <laughs> much of a progress. But I get it helps with the battery life, but it's not sure of the convenience of it. Okay. It's almost like a li uh, this liquid or the e-paper, liquid paper approach in some way. It's, it's like simplifying it down. Um, and uh, there mm -hmm. was some liquid, uh, liquid paper, uh, e-paper that uh, that did uh, increase the time, but it just uh, just doing it per minute and not per seconds to uh, to reduce okay. the life. Yeah, and that was one of the orig original appeals of the Pebble, wasn't it as well? Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't see the appeal of having to plug an extra thing in um, personally the whole time and always being recharging it and having to worry about its battery life and a battery replacement and everything else. So I think that's one of the things they're really going to have to work through. Um, uh, and in terms of extended support for products, I think it's one of the biggest questions facing a lot of these new um, these new products that we're seeing. You know, really creative ideas, really innovative ideas, um, and you get people quite excited about them, and then literally they they don't experience physical obsolescence. It's that the, it's that the software that's driving them is no longer supported or safe even to use. And I think that's something we're going to see increasingly. Um, we spend a lot of time at our events actually just physically fixing things. Um, but what we see with tablets and mobiles and other things is actually that we spend, uh, we're increasingly spending more time just um, on configuring software, making sure software is up to date and safe. And um, I'm afraid that a lot of the restart parties of the future are going to be just almost all dedicated to software. It seems software what happens faster than the batteries running out, yes. Mm -hmm. And which is why sometimes they're not even designed to have a battery replaced. Um, we've noticed recently that um, uh, Cambridge researcher Ross Anderson, who's um, done a lot of work on, in, I guess, on security and a whole host of, he's kind of one of the main researchers in his area, he, he really spoke out on the need for developers to commit to supporting uh, products for longer. And um, it was the first time I've heard somebody who's so well-known in the kind of security field to actually talking about, you know, the ethics of, of maintaining products for longer. Um, I mean, yeah, he has looked a lot at the, at the ethical implication of software choices, and I think that's mm -hmm. that ended up being being a big uh, uh, a big impact on, on ethics. And I think to, to another aspect of ethical uh, um, impact is we look at so these devices uh, as mass market or as kind of art project or fashion project, but some of them are also used um, to help people who have a, a specific specific impairment. And could be used for as a communication device, for instance, or to help do other things. And and that specific use, I think, could be much more uh, uh, much more research. The, the main product, the commercial product, don't seem to address that market, which is probably the one that is most needed. 
Yeah, for so, so you're saying that people, you know, people who need them for accessibility reasons are, are the ones who are most, and they become most dependent on them, are the ones relying on the software support. Well, I hope, um, I, I've seen a couple of cool projects in relation to that, but I guess it all comes down to the, uh, the ability to fund uh, this work, because in the end, it's, um, it's not a small piece of work to, to maintain, um, maintain these gadgets over the years. Um, you've been listening to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM, and uh, we help people fix their electronics. Not so many of the uh, wearables and smart things just yet, but they will be coming. Um, we have upcoming repair events, restart parties. You can find out more on our website, uh, therestartproject.org, or find us on Twitter or Facebook. And thanks to OptoNoise and Cassini Sound for our music, which was made with lasers, spinning plastic discs, and discard electronics. You can find us here every week at 1.30 p.m. Thanks for listening. <laughs>